0: want you to go with me to Amos 7, all right, Amos 7. Here's the question I want us to start with. What's the difference between the two statements that I put on your outline today, okay? Somebody says to you, I'm a pro-athlete, or if somebody says, I am pro-athletics. Now, that, I mean, those, those two statements are almost, uh, I mean, they almost look identical But they convey an entirely different message. Uh, Right before bedtime last night, I was listening to Kurt Warner uh, give his kind of acceptance speech in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I realized that one of the frustrations of his life early on, when he was 27 years old, is that he was an athlete. He really was an athlete, but by, um, uh, by profession, he was a stocker in a grocery store. He was not a professional. Here's the beautiful word. Yet. Yet. Um, uh, there is a difference. If you look at the first statement there, there's a difference in what your profession is. So let's look at the word. Think about the word. If, if I'm an athlete, then athletics or, or being an athlete is my vocation. There's an entirely different meaning in that and what my avocation is. Many of us in this room are sports fans. We've got, we uh, are pro athletics in, in this case. So that's an avocation, not a vocation. Now, here's the question that, that kind of needs to be the background of what we're talking about today. Is there a difference, and this is rhetorical, between someone who claims to be a professing follower of Jesus, and one, who claims to be a professional follower of Jesus. Someone said to me, just because uh, you hang out in a donut shop doesn't make you a cop. <laughs> Someone once said, just because you sleep in the garage doesn't make you a car. Okay, now, there's a difference in what I profess and what I possess, That's what kind of Amos is going after. And he's going to go after it in the context of he's going to proclaim judgment on the the nation of Israel. But he was confronted during that time by a man who was paid for being a priest. He was a professional um, follower of God, you could say. He was paid for being a priest, but he didn't profess God's truth faithfully. And they had a conflict, and that conflict is insightful to me. So, uh, Amos was one of the many prophets whom God raised up during the period of what we would call the divided nation or the divided um, uh, kingdom of Israel, north and south. Two, uh, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The, the southern tribes later became known at just by another name. What were they? What was it known as? Judah. Judah, which is... By Jesus' day is where we get the name the Jews. Okay, it kind of comes from that. It's kind of that division of north and south. The northern ten tribes were typically just known as Israel. They, they adopted um, Father Jacob's uh, changed name. So, um, so uh, we've got that division taking place uh, uh, dating back to um, um, a ways before Amos' day. And um, and um, so he's going to prophesy at about the same time that Isaiah did during the reign of Uzziah as king of Judah and Jeroboam II as king of Israel. Now, why we want to say Jeroboam the second is because there's two Jeroboams. If you remember uh, when the nation divided, the king uh, was Solomon's son Rehoboam. Boy, that's real confusing, isn't it? Rehoboam. And Rehoboam followed the wrong advice, followed the advice of his young friends instead of the elders in the nation. And it literally resulted in the nation coming apart, dividing. And Jeroboam led that rebellion in the north. That was Jeroboam I. The one that we're going to talk about in this session today, although his name is not really mentioned in our text, is the king uh, in the north, Jeroboam II. Now, both Uzziah and Jeroboam II experienced lengthy reigns. Uzziah uh, sometimes is called Azariah in the Bible. He reigned from 792 to about 740, we think, and Jeroboam II from 793 to about 753. And um, so even though they had long reigns, spiritually, they couldn't have been farther apart. Uzziah um, got the distinction of saying, the Bible saying about him in 2 Chronicles 26, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. By contrast, Jeroboam, the Bible says in 2 Kings 14, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, okay? Now, what's interesting about that, if you follow much of Old Testament history and literature, you realize that all of the northern kings were evil, there were a few of the southern kings that were righteous. Many of them were not. But all of the northern kings were evil. Well, um, the northern kingdom fell under uh, God's judgment much sooner than the south did, partially because of that. And prophets like Amos then came along to alarm and warn of coming judgment. Um, Many Bible students are going to date the start of Amos' ministry about 755, somewhere in there. So, if, if the north completely fell about 722 and under the hands of the Assyrians and Sennacherib, then what we're going to realize is that when, when Amos begins his ministry is about 30 years before the fall of the nation. All right? 30 years before the fall of the nation, certainly the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, um, He's going to identify himself as a simple shepherd. We're going to see what he uh, was called to do. Despite that fact, God sent him to shepherd his wayward people in Israel, in that northern kingdom, even though he was a uh, kind of a professional shepherd when he called him that. Uh, Anyway, now, when Jeroboam I... Okay, that's the, the first Jeroboam that kind of divided the kingdom. When he took the 10, ten uh, uh, tribes away from the whole, he wanted to make sure that his residents in the northern kingdom didn't keep going back to Jerusalem to go to church to worship. Now, by the way, there was no church then. Okay, I'm just using that term because we understand it. So Jeroboam, the king in the north, decided, I don't want everybody trekking back to Jerusalem every time they want to worship God. So I'll build uh, my own kind of rival place to worship. And in this case, one of those places that was really, really popular is a place called Bethel. It's talked about in chapter 7. We'll, we'll address it a little bit. But Bethel became a place where not only did they worship God, but they worshiped, you know, golden calves and and uh, articles that reminded them of the bales and all those kinds of things. So it was really a diluted worship. And, um and uh, but it solved, it kind of served uh, Jeroboam's purposes. And uh, uh, Bethel was still quite active 200 years later when we meet Amos as a pagan shrine in Amos's day. So there's a lot of spiritual danger with that that was posed in that. It was only 11 or 12 miles or so north of Jerusalem, so it was close, but it was a place that was full of paganism and worship of gods that were not God at all. Bethel is mentioned by name uh, in the book of Amos seven times. And the text that we're going to deal with today mentions it the last two of those seven. Now, I set that all up so that we could read a little bit. Steve, you got a microphone over there? You mind to read verse 10, 11, 12, 13 from Amos 7. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Okay. Now, we meet a guy by the name of Amaziah. He is a priest, all right? He is a priest. What do you think of when you think of the word priest? A preacher, a pastor, a person who goes to people for God. Well, the the interesting part of Amaziah's uh, uh, kind of uh, not his role necessarily, but the way he, he played out his role is that Amaziah... Although a priest, and so we're going to say, you can put in that first blank there, Amaziah is a professional priest. It's what he does for a living, okay, who only professes to follow God. That's a turn of phrase that I put in there intentionally. Amaziah is a professional priest. He gets his living by being a priest, by being a preacher, by being one who advocates on behalf of the people to God, but his, his faith is only a profession. He really doesn't believe in God at all. And certainly it's indicated by uh, the paganism in his own life, the idolatry in his own life. Now, follow me a couple of places here. I'm going to go back a page or two to 314 For on the day that I punish Israel's transgressions, this is part of Amos' prophecy about the northern kingdom, Israel. On the day that I punish Israel's transgressions, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, and they will fall to the ground. What's going to happen to um, Amaziah's office when that happens? Where he hangs out and plies his trade—it's challenged, isn't it? Look, look at uh, seven nine, same chapter, just right before where Steve started to read. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I'll rise up against uh, rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So that's uh, one of the one of the few places that that Amos actually calls the king out, and he mentions him here. And probably we think that Amaziah's reaction here that starts in verse 10 and 11 and through there is, is prompted by Amos finally calling the king out by name. So here's the deal. And this is true for both the priest, Amaziah, and his boss, the king, Jeroboam. For both of them, they, they are professionals who only profess to follow God. So, the priest, Amaziah here, sends word to the king, Jeroboam, of a conspiracy against him. Now, if what Amos prophesies comes to pass, both of these, quote, professionals will be out of a job. Think about that. Uh, I was looking earlier this morning in John eleven forty eight. 48, Jesus kind of goes after this at one point. Uh, the uh, the professionals that were running the temple in his day were very nervous about what Jesus was doing. Was Jesus a professional preacher? He really didn't accept money from anybody. But those who did were very nervous about him talking against what was going on in the temple. Because Jesus said in John eleven 48, you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Part of what Amos is dealing with here is if What he says comes to pass there will no longer be any worship going on in Bethel. Amaziah, you're going to be out of a job. And guess what? The king will be out of a job as well. Because the kingdom in the north is going to come to a screeching halt. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Isn't it interesting that this guy, aren't you glad that we've got the example of a guy who's not afraid to call people out? Now, So in verse 11 then, I just asked the question here. What is key to a true prophet's message? Whatever he prophesies comes to pass. Now, by the way, one of the things that you'll read over and over and over again in the Bible is, uh, and it came to pass. This is not, um, while my kids were here last week, we watched uh, Beauty and the Beast, the new one. Like it. Love the music. But you remember, those kind of stories begin with once upon a time, which is key to, uh, which is critical to your understanding. When a story begins with once upon a time, it probably never happened. But in the Bible, the stories that we are told begin with and it came to pass. When when a prophet preaches and says, this is going to happen, watch for it. And it comes to pass. That's the issue. Now, uh, let me track you through just a couple of places here. Let's go back to 312. What does Amos say? Thus said the Lord. By the way, he's, he is uh, gutsy enough to say this is what God said. Just as a shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. Uh, He's just being really, really honest there. One of these days, your nation is going to go away. 527, he says a similar thing. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus. Now, Damascus was the center of Assyria, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Okay. So he's predicting exile, uh, among other things, for the king. And I want you to go with me, if you can find it quickly. If not, find it and stay there because we're going to come back to it after a while. So keep your finger. In 2 Kings 17, here's the narrative of what happened 30 years later. 17.6, 17.6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile into Assyria and settled them in, in Halah and Habor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. What what Amos predicted would happen, happened. That's the key to a person being a true prophet. You ever read, uh, back in the 70s, I was uh, encouraged to read a particular prophetic, quote, book that predicted all kinds of things, specifically about Russia, which was interesting in those days. And then the same guy then about five or six years later wrote a, a, a companion book or another book in which he said, I missed it this time, but, I, but I'm really sure this is going to happen this way. Is that person... Appropriately called a prophet. No. You know better than that. Okay. So, if what Amos has to say comes true, he is a prophet of God. Did it come true? Yes. Israel will fall and be carried off to Assyria. We know from our history that that happens. We read about it just now. Now, in verse 12... In verse 12, back in in chapter 7, Amaziah addresses Amos, and he calls him a seer. Now, that's an old word, okay? Uh, It's an old word that was used. It wasn't until about the time of Samuel that the word prophet began to be used for what prophets do. Before that, uh, anyone who was a prophet in the land was called a seer. Because, and it typically is, um, it, it, uh, it is also to be used for prophets, because a prophet basically is one who can see what others cannot. All right. Now, Amaziah calls him a seer. He doesn't call him a prophet here, which may have been a little bit of a shot. And what does Amaziah in verse 12 say to Amos? Go home. Go home. Amos is from the south. He's from the land of Judah, from the kingdom of Judah. But he, he is being prophesied, preaching right in Bethel, right where all the crud is taking place. And Amaziah, who's the professional in Bethel, in these uh, shrines in Bethel, says to Amos, you know what? I'm getting pretty sick and tired of hearing you talk. Why don't you just go home? Now, Amaziah will regret that, I think. We'll see. So a prophet can see what others cannot. And so he basically says, and here's what I got. Here's where I got my title for today's uh, today's, uh, talk. Uh, He basically says, get out of here. And I'm glad Amos didn't. He dug his heels in. And stuck right with it. But he was asked by the guy in charge who had, who had probably the, um, uh, not only the respect but the support of the king. He was told, get out of here. And he did not do it. Now, look on at verse 13. All right. Look back at verse 13. Amos is accused by Amaziah here of trespassing on the king's turf. What's the king's turf? It's, it's, um, it's this uh, shrine there in Bethel. And he says, uh, get out of here in verse 12. And in verse 13, he says, uh, no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it's a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. This is the king's turf. Get out of here. Get away from here. His boss, uh, Amaziah's boss, Jeroboam II, lives around this, quote, sanctuary. And Amos is messing with their heads. He's convincing people that things are not going right, that it's not all like it it seems to be. You know what I'm glad to notice here? that Amos was really sure of who his boss was. Certainly wasn't Amaziah. His boss was the Lord God, who lives in a heavenly sanctuary, in an eternal palace. And he could say, and here's where we're going to get to. Um, Cindy, I'll let you pick it up from here if you want to in verse 15. He's going to say, he's going to push back at Amaziah, and I'm glad it's recorded in Scripture, because he's going to say, you know what? My boss is not the king, and is certainly not you. I have been called. He had the audacity to say, I've been called by God in heaven. Now, how did he know that? Could he just claim that, or did he really know it? He's going to tell us the story. Remember, this whole series That we'll finish up next week. This whole series, we've been talking about different kinds of people who were called to do amazing things and what their calling was like. He's gonna say, I was called by God, and he's gonna describe to Amaziah his calling, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Cindy, you mind to read 14 down through 17?
1: Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land.
0: This guy got guts or what? (laughs) I love it. Now, let's go back to 14. Amos pushes back at Amaziah, and he begins to talk about his own calling. He was a professional preacher, but, here's what you can fill in your blank. He really has no official credentials. Now, in here, he says, I'm neither a, I was, past tense, I believe it says, doesn't it? I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. You catch that? It's, did I quote it right? Verse 14. I am not a prophet nor am I the son of a prophet. So, uh, it, it's, this idea, he, he even kind of keeps it, Uh, present tense. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. What does that mean? Do what? Certainly he's going to get to that in verse 15, but right here he's saying, I I don't have any training. There is some indication here in his wording. um, If you remember reading in, in the books of the Kings, uh, in 2 Kings, Elisha started a, a, like a school, a training school for prophets. And uh, he would, sometimes that group of people were called the sons of the prophets. He's identifying, he may be identifying here with that group and saying, you know what, I didn't get that training. Or he may be identifying himself as not, uh, when he says, I'm not the son of a prophet, he might be saying, you know what, um, Uh, My dad wasn't a preacher, and neither did I start out to be a preacher. In fact, what's his vocation here in verse 14? Uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll calls him a fig picker. Uh, He says that, kind of. I'm a shepherd, and uh, the NIV says... uh, I'm a, a fruit tree guy. Anyway, uh, the, but the, in the New American Standard, it says, I'm a tender, how does it say it? It says, uh, I'm a herdsman, shepherd, and a grower of sycamore figs. I love the one. I just love that thought. Uh, I'm a fig picker by trade. <laughs> and a sheep herd. <laughs> That's the beginning of his pushback. I'm a fig picker and a shepherd by trade, but the very first word of verse 15 is all important. And I think it may be the most important word in this whole passage. What's the first word in your translation of verse 15? But aren't you glad there's some of those connecting conjunctions in the scripture? Probably, Amos, when he's just kind of recounting his call a little bit here. We don't get to hear the whole story like we did like with Moses. But probably Amos is looking back saying, when God came to me, I was picking figs, watching sheep. I'm not a professional. But, but God called me. That's all important here. Uh, the same thing was tr- could be said. I put a couple references there. same thing could be said about him as uh, Moses and David. He's got no official credentials. Amos has been called to a ministry of shepherding, but in the same way that Moses was. Moses was called to shepherd two and a half million people. David was called out of tending his father's sheep in 1 Samuel 16 to be the shepherd of God's people Israel. I just find it interesting Uh, what he says here. You know what? When God called me, I had not been born a prophet, nor was was I a son of a prophet. But God called me. In the winter of 2015, a 17-year-old young man wandered the halls of a medical center in West Palm Beach, Florida, he wore a white lab coat with the hospital's logo and he carried a stethoscope and even donned a surgical mask at times. People working in the medical center assumed he was a doctor, 17 years old. This was not Doogie Hauser, if you go back that far. They assumed wrongly. He had no medical credentials whatsoever. A few years earlier, another 17-year-old boy impersonated a doctor at a different medical center in Florida. I guess you don't want to go to Florida if you want to get cared for medically. (laughs) For five days, he examined patients, provided care, assessed patient information. Suspicions grew as he repeatedly attempted to gain access to restricted areas. He was caught when the staff in the emergency department reported him. Credentials are important. And they were important in Amos's day. And what Amos is saying is, Amaziah, you may think you've got credentials because your dad was a priest and your dad's dad was a priest. My dad was not a priest. He was not a prophet. But God called me. An all-important distinction. And it gives him uh, kind of the backbone that he can have, that he he needs to have here to deal with this. Now, verse 16, he's going to quote Amaziah's words back to him. He's going to say, you say. What is it that he says you say here in verse 16? Do what? Yeah, you say, I prophesied against the king and against the house of Israel. What he's wanting to know is that uh, when it comes down to it, if if Amos gets uh, called in on the carpet, he's not not going to be able to claim, uh, wait a minute. I didn't exactly hear what you had to say. Here's what I heard you say. I know. I know I'm in trouble. You say this. You're right. But then the last verse of what we're dealing with here today, he addresses the most important issues of the deal. See, Amaziah is trying to silence a prophet of God. That's serious business. You can put the word serious there in that first line. Silencing or trying to silence a prophet of God is a serious issue. And so, Amos says some very personal things to Amaziah, the professional in the room. Preacher, priest in the room. He says, he begins to talk about his wife. Now, I'm not even going to go there. This is kind of PG 13 right there in verse 17. But he says some pretty damaging things about the future of Amaziah's wife. All right? He says, he goes on and, and talks about his children. Man, can you imagine? having the guts to wait in on the only professional in the room uh, and say, okay, your, your wife will, your kids will, what does he say? They will die. All of them will die by the sword. And he says, he goes on to say, you'll be left without an inheritance. Now, what that's reference to is for one thing, he won't have any kids to inherit whatever he did have, but it's, it's deeper than that because there's conquerors by the name of the Assyrians that are going to come in and they're going to take your land from you. And they're going to cart you off to somewhere else. You're not going to have anything left to inherit if you had any, anyone to inherit from you. No inheritance. And then he says, and by the way, you'll die in captivity. And all of this happened. Are you still in uh, 2 Kings 17, 6? Would somebody read that out loud to us? 2 Kings 17, 6. Any of you that stayed over there with your finger
1: in that passage. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Haleth in Gozan and on the Haber River and in the towns of the Medes.
0: Did it happen as Amos said it was going to happen? What happened to Amaziah? He gets carted off to Assyria far to the north and dies in captivity. All of this happened. If this is 755 or so, maybe a couple of years later, all this happened 30 or so years later in 722. Now, I want you to, as we kind of wrap this up today, I want you to Go back to our text, back to seven, and I want to read. Um, I want to read a couple of verses that are really important to the understanding of the message of the prophet Amos, but weren't in our, our kind of text today. They're the previous three verses, and it's going to talk about something that's kind of important, not only in the Bible, but Skip. This is important to me. Um, here's what he says, verse seven. Thus he showed me, God. He is capitalized. And behold. The Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Basically, the message that Amos was given was in this heavenly vision of God holding a plumb line the reason I pick on Skip is because he's a plumber and that's somewhat where that idea comes from it's a carpentry tool but the idea of a, on the end of a string there's a, there's a heavy weight and they use it to make sure that vertical walls are straight and God says Amos I want you to look I'm going to hold a plumb line against the nation of Israel what do you see? They're out of plumb. And it's going to fall. Now, 1975 or so. When God began to tap me on the shoulder in a place where I was in a good place spiritually but not in a good place to, to, to grow my spiritual life. I was living... I was at a secular school. I won't mention the name, but go pokes. Um, I was. I was in a secular school, and I was looking everywhere I could to find something spiritual in that place. And I did find some great spiritual friends. Uh, one of them has started coming to Sunday school lately. Cody, Pete Baldetti. He lives in St. Louis the only Roman Catholic I had met to that point in my life who knew Jesus. I just had never been around a whole lot of Catholics and I knew Pete did. I'm in this place and God is tapping. Every day he's saying, dude, you're kind of in the wrong spot. And it was just now that I began to listen to this. Even though I've known him since I was eight years old. And I said to him, when he started tapping me on the shoulder, Skip, I said to him, uh, I am not a plumber, but my dad is. And God said, yeah, he's a really good plumber. But I'm not calling you to be a plumber. He said to me in those days, I've got something I want you to do. And if you'll just follow me, I'll open that up little by little over the next couple of years. And he did. So, in, in Amos' nomenclature, I would have said, I'm not a preacher. I'm not the son of a preacher. My dad's a plumber. In fact, I think I'm a banker. God said, no, not really. <laughs> My boss, by the way, in those days, is in this church. And occasionally, I'll, I'll remind Grady McCorkle of those days. I'll say, Grady? Did you think I was a banker? I'm not a preacher, nor the son of a preacher, but I have a calling from God. Now, here's what we've been dealing with all these weeks that we've been together. You might say, like Amos said, you know, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. And God will say, yep, you're right. But you have a calling from God too. I I, I want to put this in the context of what we experienced last Sunday here. This idea, maybe what God is calling you to do is to be an evangelist in your neighborhood. And if that word evangelist scares you, I'm going to unpack it next week in Acts 6. I want you to go read Acts 6 next week. That's where we're going to be as we kind of close this calling from God um, series out. What is God calling you to do? Can I tell you, none of you who called Jesus by the name Savior and who called the name Godfather have an exemption from a calling from him. I'm an aeronautics expert. Yeah, but i got something else for you to do. Okay. I'm a representative for Browning representative for Browning. Yeah, I know that, Roger, but I got something else for you to do. I'm a realtor. Yeah, I know that. But I also got something else for you to do. I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I have a calling from God. What is it? How can I help you find it and live it out? That's what we're going to work on next week, okay?